We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time to forget about international football, if you even thought about it to begin with, and get back to the serious business of seriously disliking Chelsea Football Club. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, at Yankee Gunner. And I, my name is Elliot Smith, and I don't like Chelsea Football Club. Okay? We can we can start it that way. It's, this could be some kind of intervention or some kind of program, but I just want to make it clear, I really really don't like Chelsea Football Club. And we go to that terrible, terrible ground on Saturday to face Chelsea Football Club. And I personally would really like it if we could do the business against them. So we are going to spend some time talking about that, the run of fixtures coming up, and maybe where some of these other fake pretenders to top four slash title aspirations stand in the league. Um, so what's ahead, a couple of things to let you know, this may be very niche, but if you live in the sort of upper Midwest area of the United States, there is an Arsenal Midwest meetup happening this weekend in Minneapolis. It just so happens that that is my town uh, where I live currently, not where I grew up, but but a place I call home now. And so I'm delighted. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I'm going to be flying halfway around the world in about a week's time to go be with Arsenal people and see Arsenal. But this weekend, I get to have it happen right in my backyard, right? Such a neat thing that we can do this globally, that it can happen here, it can happen there. So if you are in the upper Midwest area and want to be around, I will be at The Local. Our local is called The Local. <laughs> um, for the Chelsea game and podcast with Paul uh, at full time there, there'll be um, a bit of a happy hour on Friday as well that I'll be at and some sa- Sunday stuff for the women's game. So we'd love to meet people out there. And then the weekend after, I'll be at the Sheffield United game as Clive and Tim always are, so no big deal there, but it is a big deal for me, and uh, we'll try to get together with people maybe on the Friday night and, and certainly see people on the Saturday, and who knows, maybe even on the Sunday, liver permitting. Now, 
we can get on with the actual stuff. Oh, by the way, if you've ever wanted to know if we should sign Ivan, Tony, and Pedro Neto, we did a scouting video. Really, really long, good video. And the thing I like about it, there's a mini podcast in there where we start to talk about Havertz at nine versus Eddie at nine versus Jesus at nine versus what we need to do at nine. And it's uh, not the time of day, the position on the pitch, just to uh, make that clear. Uh, yeah, so you can you can check all that out and we'd love to have you there. Of course, there will still be an instant reaction for the Chelsea game over there as well on Saturday. Uh, regardless of the fact that I will be in a pub, uh, what do they say, sinking pints? I don't sink pints, actually. I, I stay strictly to the uh, hard liquor because beer does not agree with me, as anybody who has had a drink with me knows. Anyway, uh, enough of that silliness. Let's get on with the, the mission today, if we choose to accept it, which is to denigrate Chelsea Football Club. And here to do that with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And also here to do it is the chief fo- Arsenal football writer at football.london and a friend. A man I have I have hung out with and done karaoke with and, and all kinds of other uh, sundry various uh, evening time activities. His name is Kaya. You can find him on Twitter at Kaya Kainak ninety seven. Hello, Kaya. Hello, Elliot. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me on. I can very much testify to your hard liquor sympathies, having been on that night with all the karaoke there. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It you know it's it's just one of those things. Like it, it's not that I'm anti beer in any way. It just doesn't. Like my stomach doesn't feel good when I drink it and I don't feel particularly great when I drink it. And so, you know, it, it is what it is. As you get older, your body dictates your decisions. Um, I'm probably not listening to my body enough in some of my decisions <laughs> at this point, but it is what it is. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, the weekend of the Sheffield United game. You going to be around? Yes, I will be there. Hmm. Excellent, excellent. Um, I don't know if you know, by the way, we are in the market for a catchphrase that we can trademark now that... Um, James McNicholas has trademarked his catchphrase, and we have the attorneys trying to restrain Paul from saying "Let's do this." Oh, and I've kind of said it, but uh, you, you get you get the idea. So if, if anything comes to mind, let us know. Um, okay, firstly, just qu- quick, Kaya, um, I really do not like Chelsea Football Club. How do you feel about Chelsea Football Club? All kidding aside, wh- where is Chelsea for you on the spectrum? Because I, I do think that there's sometimes differences between. Foreign fans, English fans, London-specific fans, in terms of which club specifically gets under their skin the most. Um, Spurs is is Spurs, so for me, it's always right there. But Chelsea aren't far from Spurs, and sometimes they have actually been ahead of Spurs in terms of dislike. Where are they for you in terms of the team you really want to beat? Yeah, so not to to make you guys feel old, but as you can tell by my Twitter handle, I was born in 1997 and obviously Abramovich came to Chelsea. There you go. So you remember the times when Abramovich was born, uh, sorry, was born, came came in at Chelsea. (laughs) I probably do remember when Abramovich was born, to be fair. There you go. go. But um, I don't remember Chelsea pre sort of influx of of Russian billions. So throughout my time following football, Chelsea have always been this, this mega rich club who have traded any form of sort of, I guess, a bond with players, managers, um, that kind of thing for the immediate sugar rush of winning trophies. They've always just been about winning, 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 winning. And obviously the past couple of years, things have changed and that that has been funny to watch as it is interesting to watch as well. But for me, Chelsea have always been a side that have been, um, a side that have been difficult to beat. I think during the the first and second Mourinho eras, they were a particularly dislikable side for me. Um, they've had players who have always been difficult to uh, to warm to, I think, generally. But um, yeah, I've, I've never really been someone who's who's um, hated Chelsea more than I hate Spurs, for example. But at the same time, I think Chelsea are definitely, like you, quite close on the list. I just think that um, <laughs> the way they've chosen to conduct their business in terms of 
sort of neglecting any form of like a, a project or building up young players, giving them a chance, that kind of thing. A lot of the way they do things is just, it's not something that I particularly admire in, in football. I've, I'm always, maybe this is just because of my or sympathies, but I've always been someone who's preferred it when you bring players up through, from from young, you give them a chance, you sort of, they're one of your own kind of thing. And you don't necessarily go out and buy the league, but you look to do it via smart transfers, bit similar to how Arsenal do it. For example, Dortmund do it, those kind of things. The way um, smaller teams, not smaller teams, but less wealthy teams have done it. But now Chelsea seem to be in a position where they're doing their classic of throwing loads of money at the wall, but it doesn't quite seem to have the same solutions. And yeah, it's um, it's a game I'm looking forward to. It's not a game that I expect to be easy, despite Chelsea's current predicament. But yeah, I think it's hopefully one that Arsenal can get a win in, which will make it even more enjoyable. Yeah, it's a combination of factors for me. I mean, it, it, they were in the ascendancy at a time when our power was receding. We still hadn't really gotten used to our position in the new hierarchy um, coming off being the club, right? I mean, going from invincible to Chelsea kind of taking over as the dominant power in English football. Um, there was obviously the John Terry of it and the Didier Drogba of it and Roman's money and Jose Mourinho, all the things that were just loathsome. Not just a club with money, but a club with money that played football that was so anathema to what we identified as the right way of doing things. Not to mention that their fans have an association with some behaviors and ideologies that are not particularly, um, well, I, I would just say unsavory at best. Um, and and there's probably worse ways you could describe it. So yeah, just a club I don't particularly like. Clive, I know you don't get into the whole schadenfreude thing particularly, but you've made it pretty clear on numerous podcasts that you really don't like Chelsea. And, you know, I I think, as I've always said, within the larger goals of a season, you know, winning this, winning that, um, progressing in the project or whatever high-minded goals you may have, there's the moments. You know, seasons are made up of moments. And if we look back on last season, even though – Many may ultimately remember it for a failure of sorts. I think most people that are, are not determined to be miserable will remember it for the joys, right? And there were a lot of joys last season, and and they come in the big games more than more than most. So, how important is it to you as sort of a a, a marker on the road, a mile marker, beating Chelsea home and away, beating Chelsea in general? What does it mean to you this particular fixture, and and where are Chelsea in your hierarchy of of unspeakable clubs, detestable, loathsome clubs. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's try to keep some analysis going here. Uh, but, uh, they are number one. I mean, if you they say so, my, uh, I'm still halfway through are, my first cup of coffee. They are, they are number one because life isn't always fair and Chelsea were, were about to disappear and they won the lottery. And for 20 years, they became the most successful club in whole of England based on finances which now... What can we say? The world, the geopolitical world has changed and we didn't look closely at where that money came from and we enjoyed the fact that this new new money came into the league and helped promote the Premier League along with Man City and that really kicked Manchester, Arsenal and Manchester United in the backside and that everyone let that happen because they wanted it to happen because that makes a better brand, etc, etc. And, and we were there and we had to sit there and watch them take our trophies Um beat us in the transfer market continuously, win the European Cup twice. I mean, can you just, the thought of that still makes me sick. Wayne Bridge still makes me sick to this day. The, mm -hmm. most, the single hardest walk ever to Finsbury Park I've ever had to undertake. And it's still the, literally today the lowest moment of my Arsenal watching life. 
So I look at them and think, when I when there's a team like that around you, I go to myself, okay, if I'm anywhere in the club, they have to be my chief motivation. They have to be what we want to not be, and we have to make sure that we look at our competitive landscape in London closely and realise if we don't do our job regarding how we build our squad and build our culture and build our environment and connection to fans, there are two clubs, other clubs in London, and you're not going to like to hear this, but there are two other clubs in London, in, in Spurs and Chelsea, that are well positioned to push us to the side if we don't do our job right. And you're laughing at Spurs, but it only takes a manager and three windows and they're back. And so you look at their ground, look at their training ground, and they're back. Look at their revenues and their Champions League. They're right there. And they'll be above us in revenues because their ground brings in more revenue on a match day basis. <clears throat> so don't laugh at them too long. Then you've got Chelsea, the, the guy who's owning it. Not quite sure what he's doing yet, but if, if look at his track record in other areas. I don't think he's going away. Right, So... It could implode, but you can't say he's not trying something. We went for recent history where we were just drifting, not trying until certain ownership issues got resolved, etc. So there's a way for him to go. But if I'm anyone anywhere near the club exec, I am holding those two clubs up and saying, we are not going to be pushed by these two. We're going to step away from them. So right now, the window of positivity is so big for Arsenal, I would not be hesitating, would not be hesitating on any opportunity we have to separate ourselves away from those two clubs. Do not assume it's done. Because three losses at the wrong time of the year, and we're all looking at our boots wondering if we're going in the right direction. So that focus needs to be huge. And if you And I do not want to go back to those times when we went to Chelsea and got done five. And Tim was there for a lot of those games. I wasn't there for all of them because I couldn't take it anymore, right? But Tim was there for almost all of them. And they're not great experiences walking out of that ground. And so that's my little warning to everybody. That we're celebrating right now and we every right to be. But do not sleep on these two clubs. We have to make sure we stay ahead of them. And our strategy needs to make sure that we do. Yeah, I I think as it stands right now, there's no team news that I'm aware of. I guess there's some important decisions Mikel will have to make, Kaya, around how to approach this game. We are all excited to eventually see, should it ever happen this season, Martinelli, Jesus, Saka up front. Um, the question regarding Saka is an interesting one, right? Because I don't think we know if he's ready to come back in. But I would I would suspect he's got to be close. Um but but we just don't know. I mean, if if it is close, Kai, I mean, would would you be inclined, given the fact that we were able to beat mighty Manchester City without Bakao Saka, would you be inclined to give him more time? Looking at the fixtures coming up between now and the next international break, we play twice every week um, up until then. It's not that far away, unfortunately, just a month from now. But would would you be inclined to to put Saka back out there, rest him? What do you, what do you think is the right way to approach the the front three in particular in light of Saka? hopefully returning from injury. 
Yeah, so so with Saka, it was it was a small injury that he picked up mm. at Lons. It wasn't one of those big ones that you know, like a tear or anything that can keep you out for months and months. But it's the kind of one that obviously required rest and, and a period on the sidelines. And Arteta had us all sort of fooled when he said that he was in contention for Man City. He wasn't really, as you can tell by the fact that he missed the two uh, England games, and it's not one hundred percent confirmed yet whether he will be available for for Chelsea. And I expect Mikel Arteta to give us absolutely nothing when it comes to that in his press conference on Friday. Um, Let's sort of go with the hypothetical that he, he is in contention, as I'm sure Arteta will say he's in contention. Um, I think what Mikel Arteta did against Manchester City spoke to a level of managerial maturity that he seems to have developed based on the comparison to, to last season where maybe players weren't fully fit and they played and it led to longer term injuries. And I think Arteta now has got his squad to a position of, of such strength and depth that he probably feels that let's say if Bukayo Saka is absent on Saturday or is sort of a 50-50, he doesn't necessarily feel the need to to start him and and risk him, risk having him absent for, for a longer period. And I think the way Arsenal approached that Man City game was, yes, they rode the emotion of the crowd and they, they played up to the atmosphere, but also it was a level of maturity where they played um, the game rather than the occasion kind of thing. And that kind of maturity was really important because I think it allowed them to to go toe-to-toe with Manchester City and, and not slip up like they have done in the past. And I think a lot of that came from team selection as well. And Arteta choosing to to not risk Saka, and he probably could have, have risked Saka, Arteta choosing not to do that, I think suggests that he's thinking more about the long-term rather than the short-term of this one individual game. Because I think he's thinking... If Saka is 50-50 for Chelsea, I don't want to risk him, A, because I've got a squad strong enough to cope with it, but B, because I can't afford to be without him for two, three months or however long it could be, hypothetically. you know, Obviously, none of us want that to happen, but it's a possibility that if he is risked, that that could happen. So I think they won't necessarily feel a need to take a risk or take a gamble on Saka's fitness like they have done in the past because they've shown that they can do it without him. And I think that will be a really, really strong uh, piece of evidence for Arteta going forward. And there are options. Jesus on the right, Vieira on the right, Nelson on the right. Uh, Martinelli is back. He could play on the right. I'm sure you'd love to see that, Elliot. Um, Smith Rowe <laughs> could play on the right. to see him play anywhere on the pitch. There you <laughs> Honestly, go. Honestly, <laughs> even could play on the right. Habits could play on the right. There are plenty of options. Uh, none of them mm. are ideal. None of them Bukayo Saka because there's very few players in world football who are Bukayo Saka. But I think Arsenal have got themselves into position now with so many important games coming up and the awareness that Manchester City have created such high standards that even if you slip up once, you're in big trouble. So I just think that they they probably won't risk him. I wouldn't risk him myself. Um, and I think Arteta would be inclined to do the same. Yeah, I, I think yeah. there's there's a situation with Bukayo Saka because there's a perception, I think, that we risked him unnecessarily previously and that's why we lost him. And I'm I don't not saying agree that's with that, the, by the way. I don't. I, I, no, I'm not yeah. saying I agree, but there's a perception, right? That's why I said there's a perception of that, that I think there will be a perception that if we play him on the edge right now, then, you know, we're we're repeating a mistake in some way. I really don't think that's the case. While, while I believe that Saka should not have played the Lons game, I do not believe that what happened in the Lons game is necessarily... Um, directly related to any injury he was carrying, right? That he that he risked during the Lons game. Um but but Clive, I, I I'm really hoping this is the time we get to see Jesus through the middle. I don't know if we will, because it will depend on whether we have our quote unquote first choice wide players available. Um the presumption is Mar- we do have Martinelli, maybe we have Saka. I, I think for me, I've arrived at the moment 
where if it's not Jesus, I I would like it to be Havertz. And I've, I've sort of said that on a number of occasions. And while our results have, have worked out with Eddie there, um, you know, I think there are questions about whether the attack has generated as much as we would like. But the Havertz, sort of Eddie, front five situation, I don't feel like it's particularly settled. There's a lot of varying opinions on what the midfield should be, what the front five should be, you know, who should play up front. And we might just have to accept the fact that that's going to be a bit of a fluid situation this season, that there won't be a set answer to what that group looks like. This is a very big game away. Do you think that Mikel will have a specific plan for how he wants that group of five players to look and what he might try to do, you know, if not out wide, then with the center forward position? Oh, he'll have a specific plan. I think if you're looking at the biggest change between last season and this season is he has a plan for each game. And we just we just forget. We are, we're fans, right? So we try to pick a team. We understand the profile of the players. We put them into the areas of the pitch. And when we when we see that, we go, yep, we let's go. <laughs> and then the game starts. Mm-hmm. And we spend three days talking about the plan post the game. Manchester United, we let them have the ball, mid-block. Goalkeeper had 400 touches. We took it off them and then and then beat them right handily. Once they once they worked out, they couldn't play through. They just banged it long, and we we took over possession and beat them. Spurs ultra aggressive, pressed onto them. We knew they'd play out similar to what we did at Set Man City last year. We knew they'd want to show us they could play, so we stepped onto them, took the ball off them. Should have scored two goals, only scored one. They luckily get away with a a draw because we ran out of fit players in key areas. Again, Man City, what do we do? Slow build up, block the middle, um, progress the ball once we're in shape, be more mature, have a narrow block to make sure you can feed it out to your wide man once he came on in the second half. And once you get it to his feet, the game changed. Look at the set pieces that we've done over the previous games, how we, we vary from short corners to back post corners to front post corners, using the edge of the area. One thing I can say from this coaching staff is they analyze your position without a doubt, and they have a different game plan for each one. Hence why I think people are struggling to see us, because we're different most weeks. So with the picture we have, with the team we can all name from last season that played the first 14 games almost without injury, we haven't seen that team. And But yeah. we, we had one approach, which was, let's get into our three box three, let's get into that system, let's get Chinchenko um, inside, let's dominate possession, let's show one we can play. And that was last year's plan. This year's plan is let's show everyone we can win. And to win, we have to look at the opposition that we're playing. I'm looking at Chelsea, I'm looking at the fullbacks in the last two games there, Colwell and Cucurella playing right back. You know what I'm doing? I'm making sure that's where we go. That's our point of difference. Because Dizazi and, and Thiago, they can't manage us if we go around the outsides and take them. Colwell's a nice player. He's not a fullback. He's not a sprinter. Right? He's a... He's a third defender, and he's not as quick as Ben White, if you see what I mean by that. So they're trying to make him Ben White. They're going to get they're in trouble. In possession, in, with time, he's class. But, sorry, he can't take our white men. So, And if they do get James back, well, he's just a sprint away from an injury. And if they do play Cucurello right back, then that's going to be manslaughter there, Elliot, with your boy out there. So I think that's where I would go. You know, That's what I would do against them. But I'm really interested to see the plan because every single game has been different. Yeah, I'll stay with you for a second, Clive, because I I think the thing with Manchester City game, right, that performance is beyond beyond question, beyond criticism because Manchester City are the best team in the world and we beat them. 
and it's something we haven't done since 2015 in the league. Mm. So there's literally nothing you can say but job done. I don't think people would regard that performance against Chelsea as sufficient. I mean, to regard the results, certainly. But in terms of what we created, um, it was a very, very tactical battle. The job was to sort of, I think, cancel each other out and then nick it, which is exactly what you want to do against City. That's really your best case scenario. Against Chelsea, you know, I think we'd like to to try to put them under a bit more pressure. But something that really worked against City and their specific challenge was having Jorginho and Rice in the midfield. It's not the way we played, but Party is presumably fit. Now, he played in the United States um, in midweek, and so it may not be ideal having him come all the way back. But Gabriel played in South America and is coming all the way back. I think there's a lot of people wondering, is Thomas Party at right back? back are we gonna you know are we gonna go back to a double pivot with Jorginho and and Rice since it worked against Chelsea I mean the midfield is a really fascinating topic right now because we have three sixes all of whom are quite good two of whom played against City party came on for Jorginho and looked quite good against City it's certainly an option he has and with the midfielders that Chelsea have I'm thinking of Enzo and Caicedo in particular maybe it's time to let our two sixes go win that battle because that's that's an interesting area of the pitch, talent for talent between these two squads, you know? Yeah, um, I don't see the party of right back thing happening. Um, ben White's been sitting there with his legs up, so he's going to play right back. So I don't see that happening at all. And again, it's all assumptions, Eddie. I know what you're doing, you're trying to get the people in into the team like we did at the start of the season. But I, Can I ask I, you a question then? Can I just stop you for one second? Mm-hmm. Let's say the manager doesn't regard Gabriel as ready to start for one reason or another, just long, long trip, right? Getting back late for any reason. Do you presume then that it would just be a straight swap of like a Tomiyasu or Kivior into the back line? Yeah, I would. Or might he then if be I, tempted was, to do? Shall I tell you why I, I would do that? And I would seriously look at Kivior actually, because when you're center back and the guy that's above you in the hierarchy may, may doesn't play. And then, when it's opportunity to play you, you find a reason not to play you by bringing a fullback in who's a midfielder mm. to play a, a right-footed centre-back in your, in potentially in the left-hand zone. And you're sitting there thinking, hold on, I've got a five-year contract in my pocket here. When are you going to play me? And by the way, every time he plays, he looks really, really good. Really good. You know, so if we had to play keep you off, let's do it. Sometimes I, I worry about these selections, but when they work... I feel really positive afterwards because you immediately add depth to your squad. And our memories are short. And we can't remember that Kivio was fantastic against Brentford. Really, really good. And he's not far away from this group. And so the more times he gets on the pitch, the more times we, will, we won't care if he plays. You know, None of us saw Tommy Asu play for Arsenal at centre-back until the other day. And we saw it and we all, we were all gone. That's great. You know? Let's use him there. You know, so to create memories, you got to play them. <laughs> we haven't got the experience of them on the pitch, and the experiences you have, Eddie, he's seen Partey right back until his groin went, doing too many sprints. I watched a bit of his clips in the week, and he's moving really well. He ran back on who's that player, Timothy Ware, ran back against him and mm-hmm. bossed him off into the corner flag. I'm thinking, mate, slow down, boy. Yeah, we need you for the weekend, right? So, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm not worried about that. We've got the players now. Let's use them. They're fit and healthy. Let's use them. Gabriel doesn't play, but he comes on for the last half hour to box out a win. Fine by me. Just use the players that you have and um, don't stress about it too much. Interesting. I think Reese Nelson would be 
within his right to ask the question, then I was next man up in the Derby and he didn't pick me. Right. So, um, in, mm. in terms of the same kind of mindset, the guy in front of him wasn't available and he didn't, he didn't get the call. Um, but by, by the way, in that game that you mentioned, Thomas party, uh, boshing Timothy way, that was a four nil victory for the U S with Fuller and Balogun scoring a nice little goal. Not that we're mm. paying attention to that in any way, shape or form. Cause it has no, uh, no relevance to us. W- what do you think Kaya? Um, Starting with Jorginho and Rice and finishing with Party and Rice, that worked pretty well against City, a city without Rodri, so maybe a little bit less of the athleticism and pitch coverage, physical dominance, control that City might normally bring to a game like that. Caicedo certainly has the ability to cover the pitch. Enzo, I think, is a pretty good engine too. Um, and you know, Chelsea may not be the final. They're not the final product yet. They're not the final puzzle. They've got a lot of interesting pieces and it's not clear how they fit together and they've got a lot of injuries as well. But I think Enzo and Caicedo in midfield as a starting point for what they want to do makes them interesting. I think Party and Rice can certainly win that battle if they start together. I'd be less convinced if it's if it's Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard. I'll, I'll just be honest about that. Um, not because they they can't get the job done, but I think I think the other options might suit this game better. Midfield to me is one of these situations where I I think we have a tremendous amount of talent available to us. I'm just not really sure which way to fit it all together balances control and potency in the way we want. Because the irony is, if you think about it, Kai, the reason I presume we went for Kai is that Mikel looked at the midfield we played last season and said, if I can add a little more end product into that trio, that's how I take this up a level. And so far this season, the player that was brought in to add that hasn't really added that. And now we've seen in some big situations where we've gone away from it. So that balance between control versus potency, I don't know if we've solved it. Do you do you think this will be a game where we go for control again? So I think Kai Havertz, yeah, he was brought in to to bring it up a level like you described in certain games. So it's not going to be every game is going to be a Kai Havertz, Martin Odegaard, Declan Rice game. Some games will be a Declan Rice, Thomas Partey, Martin Odegaard game. Or some mm-hmm. games will be a Jorginho, Thomas Partey, Declan Rice game, whatever you want to, combination you want to pick. What Arteta has wanted from his transfer dealings throughout at Arsenal is to, is to create a squad that is capable of exploiting every weakness that an opposition has, but also uh, of hiding every weakness that, that his his side has. And it becomes a lot less predictable. And Clive mentioned it earlier about the, the squad that we all knew was going to start almost every single game. And, and going into that Chelsea game, I think they were all fit. I think it was the 11 that we all knew that I'm talking about the Stamford Bridge one last season. Mm. For Arsenal in possibly their best performance um, of the season up until that point. We really blew him off the pitch. Chelsea. Yeah, dominated like, the game. Yeah. Jesus was fantastic through the middle and Saliba was dominant at the back and Gabriel had a fantastic game. Zinchenko was great. They resorted to kicking Saka off the pitch because it was the only way they could stop him. And all that stuff was 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 great, but I, it's not necessarily mean it's going to be the, the same game this time around. And I think the Man City selection, if Partey had been fully fit and the plan was to play him against Lons for half an hour or so and then potentially start at Man City, but obviously the game state at Lons where they were chasing a goal and bringing on a defensive midfielder didn't really make too much sense. That's the way it turned out. So I think if Partey had been fitter 
for the Manchester City game, he probably would have started ahead of Jorginho and that would have been the the midfield we'd seen in that game. So I don't know if it's maybe reading a bit too much into that, the fact that Jorginho started. I don't know if it was necessarily a case if he chose Jorginho over Partey because he wanted more control. But there have been games and if you look at the Chelsea midfield, you spoke about their ability to cover um, large distances and they're very athletic and, and Conor Gallagher may not be the best on the ball, but he is very athletic and get around the pitch. And Arsenal have played a midfield like that away from home in the past in Newcastle last season and, and Jorginho came in and had an absolute worldy of a performance. So he definitely, I think Arteta definitely views it um, in different ways. And like Clive was saying, he'll have a specific plan for this specific game. I would love to see that midfield three of, of Partey, Rice and Odegaard because I think it allows Arsenal to play that bit higher up the pitch and the way they dominated Chelsea so much last season was because Chelsea couldn't really get out of their own half. I can't remember what the XG was, but Aubameyang started that game, didn't he have something like five or six touches or something stupid like mm-hmm. that? And yeah. I'd love to see another performance like that and I think if you play Rice higher up the pitch where you can win the ball higher up the pitch and you've got Odegaard helping the press, I just think that enables you to do that more and you've got Partey in behind who can help with the ball and he's got that athleticism if you need it and all those kind of things I think that just makes sense and it's a midfield three I would like and I think um, I get a bit nervous about the idea of seeing two ostensibly attacking midfielders in Erdegaard and Havertz going to Stamford Bridge where even though Chelsea are in their current state where they're essentially uh, you know not a top six Premier League side they still have players who can hurt Arsenal and going to Stamford Bridge with a midfield that's that offensive I personally, that that raises alarm bells for me, and that feels a bit too overconfident. That feels a bit too, um, a bit too risky. So mm. I would I would opt for the midfield three of of, of Partey, uh, Rice, and Odegaard. You know, if if I had the choice, um, just because it makes the most sense to me. Yeah, Clive. Yeah, well, I, I agree with Kyle that midfield absolutely. Um, that's your that's your you're going to war midfield, right? You can you just fancy that. How I always say when the big games come, we soon pick the same side. <laughs> no risks mm. associated to it. You do, we only we, we we work it all out when it really matters. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing um, you know Chelsea's team. By the way, sorry. On paper, it looks really quite balanced. And so they played Kukurela last game for right before that. But I forgot Gusto was suspended and, and he'll come back in. He's not a bad player. He's quite new. Kukurela will flip to the left back and potentially Colwell and Thiago be the centre backs. You think left footers in the right place, midfield three, you know, Conor Gallagher, a runabouter. And you got, you know, you got Kaiseido and, and Enzo. These names are really quite exciting. Cole Palmer's not bad off the, off the you know right hand side, and Raheem Sterling off the left, and Nicholas Jackson running the channels. You can see it, can't you? Think? You know that team looks quite good, but what they don't have is a consistent, solidified style of play which glues them together. They have a group of names which really make you think, oh, this might not be easy. But what we have is level of familiarity, cohesion, and we know what we're doing on any given day, and we manage to impose our game plan on the opposition nine and a half days out of ten. You know, so Chelsea is a team like we can all see, well, that looks good. Look at the cost, look at that. Everything's in place, but they haven't got that track record yet, and which makes this game really, really dangerous, because how do you develop a reputation by chinning a team that's potentially one of the title contenders live on TV in front of the nation? That's your breakout game. And from there, everyone starts to respect you in a slightly different way. So I do think it's important that we have a plan. I, I like the idea, because I'm listening to you say Saka's not playing. 
we'll soon know in the, in the next day or so when we start looking, scouring mm. the training pictures, right? We'll soon know. But just say he's not playing, and say we do play Jesus on the right hand side. I would genuinely, genuinely like to see Havertz play centre forward. Because yep. imagine what they would be feeling. They would be thinking, "Oh, cool, he's come back. He's going to play well." We got to, and it'll put it'll put nerves in their whole ground. You know, with Martinelli on, the, on one side of him, and all he's got to do is facilitate and set the play, and we can go from there. And we can then clip it over their aggression clip it over where they think their talent is and go into their back line where they are not talented enough to hold us. You know, that, that's my feeling. So go to their fullbacks, go to their sides, make them run backwards. And I think that's the plan. I don't think this is an Eddie game. I, I'm strongly on that one. I don't think it's an Eddie game. Sometimes horses for courses, right? Um, this is a game for the boys that understand about going into this stadium and really producing the big boys, hence party should play, absolutely. Maybe not last the whole game, doesn't matter, we've got people to come on. That's the way I would do about it. I don't disrespect this team, but let's get them in areas where they don't want to be, and then we'll take them. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really interesting thing, Kaya, is how you play the mind games against an an opponent and how you nurture the confidence and psyche of your own players. I think it is really dangerous to get roped into the drama around a game and not just pick the team and the tactics that best suit the moment. It will be big news if Mikel's 65 million pound signing rides the bench for his return to Chelsea. But if that's what's best for Arsenal, I don't care if it's big news. Now, everybody knows it, guys. What happens when we go up against former Arsenal players? What do they do? They score against us. It's just what they do. Ask Theo Walcott, 47-year-old Theo Walcott, ruining our title ambitions last season, right? The no celebration celebration is a thing for a reason. But you just got to know your player and know the moment. If he plays Kai center forward against Chelsea, is Kai the kind of player who will bring that extra 10% to the game and be unstoppable? Or is Kai the kind of player where that extra 10% means he goes in with studs showing and gets a red card? You you don't know how the extra adrenaline, extra energy is is going to play out. I mean, would I like to see him doing the Adebayo or knee slide in front of the home fans? Of course I would, but you don't know. And I think it is dangerous... Arsenal are better than Chelsea. And if we put our best 11 out there that's available, I think we should beat Chelsea. Once you bring things like emotion into it, you get unpredictability. You get things you can't control. Things like a player who loses his head in the moment or a player who plays out of his mind. And you don't know what you're going to get. And that would make me nervous as a manager. Kai, what do you think about that? Does Mikel... Will he feel he needs to start Kai because of the message it sends to the player and the message it sends about him being the right guy for this project and the, the chance that he might show up bigger in the moment? Or would he, should he shy away from the unpredictability of what all that emotion might do to the performance? I think Arteta has never had any issue when it comes to separating emotion from the correct decision for the team. Just look mm. at the goalkeeping situation right now. If you're playing it on emotion, then Aaron Ramsdale is still starting in goal for Arsenal because everyone loves him and he's the guy who's brought Arsenal from a team that could barely were kicking the ball into their own net almost every week to a team that can now progress the ball out the pitch and a team that, you know, is looking pretty tasty when they're playing out from the back. But And we'll come on to his comments in uh in just a few minutes as well. Okay. Okay. 
Um, but David Ryer is what uh, Mikel thought was the the better option for the team. It's the, it's the player he put in 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 the game, and it's the player he's he's persisted to put in the game ever since. So, if Kai Havertz isn't the guy who Mikel Arteta decides is the best person for Arsenal to play in this match. There's no question in my mind that Mikel Arteta will leave him on the bench, regardless of the fact he's a £65 million signing, regardless of the fact it's a big game on TV, regardless of the fact this is his big return to, to West London from North London and he wants to go back there and show them that they were all wrong and apparently they're planning on booing him and they're debating whether they should do that or not, even though he scored a win in the Champions League final for them and all that stuff. I don't think Arteta will care too much about that if he feels it's the decision that is right for the day and for the team. So... Um, yeah, I think if, if, you know, one of the white men isn't necessarily fully fit, I would also like to see Havertz play up front. I think he did a really good job against Man City in the Community Shield. And I think people have forgotten that performance where he showed he had the physicality. He's tall, yes, but that doesn't necessarily mean he win balls in the air, but he uses his height really well. He's a good target man. And Arteta has said he can use him as a target man. And like Clive was saying there, if Chelsea look to press Arsenal, then you can knock it over them. Um, but, you know, if everyone's fit, then I don't think um, Havertz does start. And I don't think Arteta will have any issues with making that decision, regardless of of the emotional sort of circumstances that revolve around the game. Mm. I, I, It's so tough, right? Because there's that part of you that wants to see him start and be able to rub it in, you know, to the Chelsea fans and get his big moment and what that can mean for his season. But, yeah, I, I just... I want to see I him start because I think he's the best option if Saka's out. Now that, that that is a different argument. And by the way, you want to know, you want to hear an interesting statistic. Chelsea lead the league in aerial duel percentage. Aerial duels one percentage. They win more aerial duels by percentage than any other team in the league. So maybe adding Kai into the mix up front and we know that you know he that's one area where he really thrives can help balance the scales a little bit cuz we're closer to the bottom of the table in that statistic. So maybe he can help balance that out for us a little. I guess what I would say is if Kai starts up front, I will regard that as a, a totally reasonable decision with Jesus and Martinelli on either side. If Kai starts at left eight, I would probably regard that as the wrong decision in this moment in this game. Uh, I just think for the midfield that Chelsea put out, it'd be interesting. And by the way, you look at Chelsea, we are, in terms of um, controlling games, we have the most attacking third touches of any team in the league per 90. Our opponents have the second fewest behind only Manchester City. But Chelsea are fourth in that stat. And I think fifth in in their own attacking third touches. They do the field tilt thing. They do the control of the ball in the the opposition area, uh, uh, defensive third thing. And in general, I think when we've come up against teams that want to do that, that plays to our strengths a little bit. Where we've struggled this season, actually, I think is picking the lock on low blocks. But I think when we have a little more space to play, that can play into our hands. And so I think Party and Rice, for a bigger space game, which this could be, right, traveling between the thirds, that would really sta- benefit us, I think. And, and winning that battle between the thirds, that that could be critical. Um, as a as a final point on that, let's, let's bear in mind, Chelsea have played almost no one in the league. They started the season with Liverpool in a game where both teams looked undercooked. And since then, they played basically no one. So while their underlying metrics have them looking pretty good, they have played teams that are not good. We're just coming off the challenge of Manchester City. They're coming off the challenge of Fulham and Burnley. You know, So, I mean, it's it's a very different position we find ourselves in. we got to talk about the goalkeeper situation, which you'd think we wouldn't because it's pretty settled. But I think Ramsdale has made a few comments that are interesting. And actually, there is a, an interesting thing to consider 
about the Aaron Ramsdale situation coming up. Um, but again, we spent a lot of this time talking about team selection, talking about the group, what it should be. And when you're trying to figure out what the group should be, and when you're trying to figure out what talent needs to be in the group, the first thing you got to do is recruit the right talent. When you got to recruit the right talent, you got to use the right hiring website. And that is indeed the hiring platform where you can attract interview and hire all in one place. Look, it's this simple. If I said to you, forget what it is. If I said there's a website that lets you do everything you want to do on it, or you can go to a hundred different websites and try to do the same thing on all of them with hours of extra time. You'd be like, that's dumb. I'll just go to the one that does it. Well, that's indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, you can go to the one powerful hiring platform that helps you do it all. With Instant Match, by the way, one of their features, over 80% of employers, 80%, that's a big number, get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. So I don't, again, I don't know why you wouldn't do this. If you are hiring, then you're going to want to use the one platform that, can, that gets you everything you need. And then you're going to want to use the features that get you the quality candidates that match your job description. And here's the best part, you pay for what you want. Because Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join the more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. That's a lot of businesses. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire you need Indeed. And last but not least, mental health. Mental health is something that we have to take seriously, we have to be honest about, and we have to address proactively. We do it with our physical health, right? We do it with our diet and our exercise and visiting doctors and doing what we need to do to stay healthy. I have recently been uh, getting a primary care physician. I haven't had one. And in getting that primary care physician, you know, he decided, hey, uh, why don't we just use up all your insurance? Because, you know, we live in the U.S. and whether you get good health care depends on whether you have good insurance. If you have good insurance, what do they do? They send you out to get every test under the sun. Use up that good insurance, right? So I am now in the process of going through this, this total diagnostic to see where I stand physically. And yet the thing that can disrupt your physical well-being is your mental well-being. You know, when you are not healthy mentally, your body can break down. Anyway, long way of saying that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is therapy. It's just therapy that happens online, which means you don't have to leave your home. Uh, timing is easier to do. It's more cost-effective. You can match with someone that's perfect for you. You can find someone with a specialty that fits your need if you have a specialty kind of need. You don't have to do this for when it's a crisis. You can do this for maintenance. You know, honestly, I did therapy for so long. One of the reasons I stopped is I moved away from where my therapist was, and just the process of trying to find another therapist and going out and going to a therapist seemed like an obstacle. So with better help, you can do therapy in a way that is convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You can even do it camera off if that makes you feel more comfortable. Get to work on your mental health. Why wouldn't you get to work on your mental health? Makes you a healthier person overall. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Live. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Okay. Um, yeah, Ramsdale. Remember him? Really, really popular England goalkeeper who plays for Arsenal, who we all love, and has been replaced by David Raya. Well, he spoke to the Guardian, Clive. And in speaking to the Guardian, he said some things, and some of the things he said was, it hurts. 
I love a player who's willing to be honest. I think honesty is important. It hurts. He said it hurts because it's one of the first times it's happened with the situation. It has been difficult. This, there's a lot of quotes. You can read the Guardian article. You can read the quotes that are out there. But Clive, I'm going to read a quote that stands out to me because it's a little bit inscrutable. And I, I, I wish if I knew just what this meant, I think it would get at the heart of what's going on with him and Mikel and Raya. And by the way, lots of quotes on him really liking David Raya and David Raya really liking him and the importance of holding each other up and being there for each other. So he says a lot of the right things. But this, this was interesting. There are times where you're doing the right thing, but it's the wrong thing. And if you don't do it, it's the wrong thing. So it's a double-edged sword. That, to me, is just the tiniest peeling back of the onion, I think, of saying, like, maybe he thought he was doing what the manager wanted, but it wasn't the right thing. But then if he wasn't doing it, it was the wrong thing. And maybe that there's just, he felt some confusion or or lack of clarity on what he, what the expectations were, how he was supposed to do it. I'm curious what you make of some of the comments. I mean, obviously he comes across as a, as a lovely guy, as a thoughtful guy, as a supportive guy, and, and a guy who's going through a difficult time. But I thought that quote in particular about you do it, it's wrong. If you don't do it, it's wrong. The double-edged sword, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> well, it's interesting if you're looking at things that way. For me, I, I, I've gone through my cycle of emotional grief around this guy. I think... Mm. There is a period where you think, crikey, this can happen. Or you're looking at reasons what's going to happen, what's going to happen with these two goalkeepers. Is this a new era for how we select goalkeepers? By the way, Brighton are rotating goalkeepers. No one's even looking at them. You know, so this mm -hmm. is like, but we haven't really rotated. So I, I, I want to hold a bit back in my mind to say this story is not told yet. But what I will say is, we've, I've, I've been consistent with this. Goalkeepers and sometimes set the halves, they make you feel comfortable or they don't. And you can throw me all the stats you want. But, mate, when I'm watching a game and the ball goes back to my centre-back, so the ball goes back to my goalkeeper, or uh, the ball gets swung into the box, your heart and your brain and your emotions tell you how good that player is. Right? And honestly, I think it's a unique position for how you feel about your team and your stability. And at this moment in time, there are certain aspects of our tactical game where David Rea makes me feel a touch more comfortable. And I said a touch more. And that could change if Rams have got an opportunity to make me feel comfortable in, in those aspects. I don't think his talent is a million miles behind. I really don't. I just think it needs to be a slightly different emphasis to his game, Ramsdale, potentially focusing on things like crosses, for example, putting out fires before they start. It's just a, it's a body language thing. It's just it's just a comfort around the ball. Um, it's 10 percentile, mate, for me. That, that's all it is. I think Ramsdale is a big gamekeeper. And I can say that because I've seen it. And it's the small games where he knocks off. Right? So, and so far, of our small sample side, David Raya, some of the games he's playing for us now are the biggest games of his career. So to be confirmed, we can manage these games. To be confirmed. We were talking about Kai Havertz earlier on, and I'm, I'm patient with him. I can be patient with David Raya's ability to manage big games. That's what we do, right? So, so... I'm I'm going through the, the the grief. I've gone through the grief, and now it's about this is this is the top 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 level. We're trying to be the best team in the league. By default, if we're one, if we're the best team in the Premier League, we're going to be in the top four in Europe. It basically, means we're the top four in the world. If we've got two people fighting out for a position, we need to grow up because you don't get there 
by making comfortable, nice decisions. You get there to be the best team in the world. That's what that's what your goal needs to be by making tough decisions and by extracting every single percentile you can out of the group of players under your under your control. But yes, I've gone through my round start. Oh man, it feels bad. I've gone through that, Elliot. I'm through it. I'm out the other side. We've got Chelsea coming up. We've got big games coming up. And I just want the most focused possible team with the right level of competition across the whole squad because that allows us to have many more happy Saturdays than sad ones. Yeah, well said. So here's the interesting thing. And I, I spoke to Tom Canton on the Gunner Talk yesterday. Uh, he was kind enough to have me on uh, and destroy his YouTube channel that he's worked so hard to build. But um, Kaya, like the, <laughs> the, the interesting thing is there's a game coming up against Brentford and Ramsdale is going to play that game. And there's no two ways around it because Raya can't. And that sort of opens the door to the question of whether there should be an effort to get Ramsdale in the team a bit before that. Now, what makes the Brentford game interesting, first of all, it's um, it's Brentford away. So we know that Ramsdale was actually quite good on his travels last season, but it's right after the international break. So there will be two weeks where everybody's gone and presumably Ramsdale will be off with England. And so you might say, well, it doesn't matter what he does with Ramsdale before that because then you have the international break. It won't help him anyway. You just throw him in cold. Would you be looking to find a fixture, maybe in the Champions League? Maybe I think it's Burnley at home right before the international break. Would you be looking to get Ramsdale into the team, lift his spirits, lift where he is in his current journey before starting at Brentford? Um, because I think what you risk otherwise is just, you know, playing him cold and and also potentially causing some damage if that, you know, if that doesn't go well, it's going to feel like his only moment to go rescue his career in some ways. Maybe I'm, I'm gilding the lily too much here. Well, would you try to play him before that? Um, so I think with with Ramsdale, the, so the Champions League fixture potential, I don't think that can happen anymore because they lost to Lons and whereas before you'd have backed them to qualify within four matches or three matches even more or less, it's not going to happen anymore. So Sevilla and... Well, Sevilla again, are now must-win games for Arsenal. There's there's no two ways about it. And in the must-win games, particularly in the Champions League and the biggest games, you play your best team. So Aaron Ramsdale, I think, will be on the bench of those games. And I think David Raya will start. Yeah, it would be great in an ideal world if you could maybe, um, like Arteta has hinted, if you could throw Ramsdale on for half an hour and end, at the end of a game where Arsenal are 4-0 up. Fantastic. But that's not the goalkeeping position. And despite the fact Arteta has said that he wants to change goalkeepers in the past, he's not going to do it. I don't think he's going to do it. I'm willing to call his bluff on that. I don't think he's going to do it. So I just think, yeah, it won't be ideal situation for for Ramsdale to come in cold in that Brentford game, sure. But that's the nature of, of top-level sport and that's the nature of being uh, com- competing for one spot in um, one of the best teams in the world. And you're not always going to get the chance to come in in the ideal situation. It's up to you then to to deal with that coming cold, yes, but also put in a good position, uh, sorry, a good performance and be in position in training where you're ready to come in and play no matter what. It, it's just the same as if, I don't know, um, David Raya were to go down injured against Chelsea and Ramsdale were to have to come on and play the next game against Seville. He'd be coming in without having played for a few weeks, but it's it's no different to when he would have to come in for, for Brentford when Raya is ineligible. So, 
I think that's just the way um, it's going to have to be for Ramsdale. He's not going to be able to pick and choose. And I don't think, as we mentioned before, when it came to the habit situation, Arteta is particularly the guy who's going to kind of um, mould the team just to try and suit the the state of one player. He's going to do what's best for the team overall. He's not going to try and um, give Ramsdale a game here or there just so that he's ready for Brentford. I think he'll be thinking, no, I'm going to play my best team until one of those best players isn't necessarily available. So yeah, in an ideal world, it'd be great for Ramsdale to, to get a game here or there. But um, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Arteta's the kind of manager who's going to give it to him. The only game I can see Ramsdale having between now and the next international break, you know, barring no injuries, is, is West Ham in the Carabao Cup. And that'll be the game where Ramsdale will have to come in and show, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still a really good goalkeeper, like he did against Brentford, in all fairness to him, in the Carabao Cup in the last round. And that's all he can do now. And this is probably what he was maybe referencing when he says you can do everything right, but still do everything wrong in the same time, in the sense that he played really well against Brentford, but that didn't really affect his chances of coming in for the next game. That was just the reality of the situation. He can play really well against West Ham and keep a clean sheet, and he could probably play really well until the final of the Carabao Cup and, you know, if Arsenal go on and win it. I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference in terms of Mikel Arteta's team selection unless David Raya gets injured or plays really badly. So that's just the reality of the situation for Ramsdale right now. And it's a shame because we're all emotionally attached to him as a player and we all love him for the way he winds up Spurs fans and the way he interacts with supporters and the way he is genuinely a really nice guy. But unfortunately, that's the situation that Arsenal found themselves in. And it's a kind of ruthlessness you need to do when it comes to making that step from being challenges for Premier League to winners of Premier League. It's 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 brutal and it's it's harsh, but it's unfortunately what I think needs to be done. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, can, I can see a happy path that makes everybody happy, right? Um, I just looked at the fixture list. Oh, Clive. List. Sweet yeah. Clive, you naive fool. I'm just going to make it, I'm going to get a kick in, but I was going to give everyone a path to green, a happy path, right? So just imagine that Raya plays Chelsea and Sevilla. Ramsdale plays Sheffield United at home against his old club. You can see the emotion there, can't you? Ramsdale plays at West Ham in the Carabao Cup. Raya plays at Newcastle and away at Sevilla, Spanish team, away, back to his homeland. He plays there. Ramsdale plays against Burnley and plays against Brentford, where he has to play. Then you can see a rotation, two by two, which fits everything. And everyone's happy. And everyone's <laughs> tapping each other on the back. It can easily happen, right? And uh, and, and that love, those levels. It can easily happen. As we know, Frequently in football, everyone is happy and everything works out. That's usually how it goes. We never experience. have an issue with each other, and we agree all of the time, right? So I'm just giving Thanks. a happy path there. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed I think it. if Arteta was going to do something like that, he'd have done it against Bournemouth, though, wouldn't he? He'd have brought Ramsdale yeah. in for that Bournemouth game up against his old club. Game. Kaya, I'm just holding. I'm just. Ho- I'm just holding on to this little bit. Listen, I want. I want to be there with you, Clive. I want to be there that, with you. That says mm. we are truly going to make sure that every player in the squad feels engaged. There's a period of games coming yep. up. This is joking aside. There are periods of games coming up where there's no reason why you can't play those games. Just, just, just look, pretend he's throwing the ball in his net. For God's sake, do you know what I mean we're we're sitting there with one defeat in France since the Charity Shield? Where our goalkeeper gave the ball away on the first goal, right? Playing left mm. centre back, and our and our left centre back was on a touchline, and we couldn't squeeze in to stop them scoring. But let's not pretend that everything's perfect. We're trying to bring two goalkeepers into our team, so sometimes 
we've got this thing. I, I'm not there yet on the whole, it's number one, that's it, it's all over, and he's gone in January type thing. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm not there yet on that. You know, I still think there's a rotation but, opportunity ahead. Why not solve this problem with one stroke, one brilliant brushstroke, Clive? Instead of rotating games, like you said, because I don't see that happening. If Gabriel has come back from Brazil not ready to play, play Raya at left center back and Ramsdale at keeper. See, now, Problem solved. Thank you, me later. You send um, the Discord into yeah. uproar now, Elliot. Just let you know. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I'm a visionary, and, and you know, football is going that direction. That's the direction it's going. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, look, Clive, the the period between now and the next international break. Uh, so we play Burnley at home on November 11th before Brentford away on the 25th. That's the next international break. It's it's not not even a month. I mean, why do they play so much international football? For God's sakes, will so, please, won't somebody think of the football supporters who do not care for international football. Um, but in that period, we go to Chelsea, go to Sevilla, host Sheffield United, go to West Ham, go to Newcastle, host Sevilla, host Burnley. It's a lot of football. What, I mean, apart from win all the games, what are some things, you know, as we s- sort of wrap up here, you look at the season in pieces, right? What, what did we need to accomplish before the international break that just ended? I think we needed to beat Manchester City and, and get at or near the top of the table, mission accomplished. What's the mission for this next cluster of games? What would be your punch list of things we have to do to be on course going into the next dinner low for, for all our checklist of accomplishments for the season? Well, challenge one is getting everybody back into the squad and assimilated into a game plan for Chelsea. That's always a challenge. Be lovely we could be moved to a Sunday, but it's Saturday night, so it's not the worst in the world. We ain't got to travel far. But that's the first thing. And then you stare at Newcastle, don't you? Newcastle away is probably, with Old Trafford and Man City, the hardest away games for the season. So Newcastle away, they're pumped. Elliot, we did a little chat on them, didn't we, on the power rankings. Their numbers look good. They've just had massive win against PSG, which just elevated their confidence levels. That's going to be a tough game. So whatever we're thinking about, regarding where we started this podcast, around Saka's injury, etc., Mate, that game, you want your boys there, don't you? You want everybody mm-hmm. there, no one carrying anything. So that game's looming large, and I think it's important, really important. I'm, I'm dismissing Sheffield United, which I shouldn't do, but hopefully that takes care of itself. So that's my area of focus. Establishing ourselves in the European games, I don't want to see any dramas around, around finishing top in the group. So again, efficiently approaching those games making sure we, we knock them off because we don't want to be into an emotional game towards the end of the this block of games, you know? So that's that's my focus really. So Sevilla, I think I, I'm going to say this, I shouldn't do this to you, cause, but I think they may have had a change of manager. I think they have. And um, so, is that right? Have I got the wrong team? I'm not sure which one. It is. One, of our, one of our group members are going to change a manager. And so... Um, now yeah, so uh, Jose Luis... Mendilibar replaces uh, Sampaoli as Sevilla FC coach are the headlines here. Um, 
That was, oh no, wait, that was March that was 23rd, 2023. That was last yeah, year. Yeah, Shows yeah. what I know. Um, Sevilla, consider like, axing third manager in 12 months after club yeah, scores start to the season. Yeah, so did they sack coach. him? Yep, they sacked yeah, him. Yeah, Diego Alonso is their new coach. Thank you. I shouldn't do that. Apologies, uh, guys. Join but- me next time for Elliot Reed's Google search. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll make that a new regular feature. Apologies, but I remember, I remember it happening thinking, oh, I still, that's all we need. You know, a new G'd up mm-hmm. team that was on the floor a little while ago. So I want to make sure in this block of games that we sort them out because they're a club that when they want to do it in Europe, they really, really can. Maybe not in this competition. Mm-hmm. They may need to drop down. <laughs> and then then they suddenly find Yeah, but theirs. they'll need some points if they want to drop down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's really it, really. Those two big games, really, Newcastle really stands out to me, but continue to accumulate points in the most efficient, calmest way possible. Then really focus on qualification, get themselves positioned, and that Newcastle game. Because again, the, the world will be watching us on that day. The The Champions League situation is an interesting one, Kaya, because the way the fixtures have been set out, we could find ourselves in a pretty precarious position. I mean, God forbid, by the way, we lose in Spain. There's a very reasonable chance we'll be last in the group going into the next match day when Sevilla comes to the Emirates. I think the goal has to be at this point, beat Sevilla at home, obviously, have no choice but to do that. Beat PSV at home, uh, pardon me, Lons at home, obviously, have no choice but to do that. And at a minimum, at a minimum, draw one of the away games between PSV and Sevilla. But probably, you know, obviously, win all four would be great. But my my point is, how precarious do you think the situation is in the Champions League right now? I, I, I think... When we looked at this group, I, I started to look at that last group game and, and say it'd be great not to have to care about that last group game. Um, you know, and look, it'd be, it'd be great to rotate and win all your games. I, I understand that. But the, the reason I, I looked at that game in particular, it's PSV away on December 12th, and then it's Brighton at home on the 16th and Liverpool away uh, the weekend after that. I don't think you want to have to be going full tilt at PSV with Brighton and Liverpool as your next two Premier League fixtures. You wouldn't want to be staring that in the face, especially with the holiday program after that, you know, and all the fixture congestion. I struggle to see us being in that position as we stand now, but what do you think of the the home and home we have with Sevilla coming up in our somewhat slightly precarious position in the in the group as it stands now? Yeah, I don't view it as too precarious because there's no standout team in the group. There's no team that have, have won every game and is you know going miles and miles ahead and is going to uh, comfortably sort of set off into the distance beyond the horizon where Arsenal won't be in a position where they can catch them. So I, I don't get too concerned when it comes to the Champions League. I still think Arsenal should be relatively comfortable. And I think those are all games that Arsenal should be winning. Yes, Sevilla, we don't know the new manager bounce. Arsenal seem to always play teams who have new managers. But um, I think... You still back Arsenal to to beat Sevilla, who have had a very poor start to the season. Um, Lons is a game where they probably still should have won it, even though they lost it. And they actually, I don't think they played that badly as everyone says. You know, if Tommy Asu sticks his volley in from the corner, I don't think Arsenal go on to lose that game. Agreed. So I still feel confident about Arsenal's chances of, of qualifying from the Champions League. I'm, I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, I, I'm going to pose myself my own question and answer it a bit like you, Elliot, but I'm going to go for um, and just, just say in you know, in to what you were saying to Clive earlier, sort of what would be my, my checklist for this next yeah. segment of games. It would just be calm things down a bit, just just chill it out a bit because Arsenal have only had one game in the league this season that they've won by more than one, oh, well, two games, but 
two games they've won by more than one goal. One of those games was United where they scored in the last minute and then Jesus scores another goal in the last minute. I think Arsenal could really do with a few games where they just go in, win the game by half time, and um, sort of can chill out. And then you start to properly rest players and, and bring players in and give them the squad opportunities and all that kind of stuff. The reason that we've not seen some of the squad players coming in and maybe being given the chances they need, or the reason that Arsenal have had to really overplay some of the most important players is because of the game states they've been in where they've not been in the position where they've been able to rest and, and rotate because I think it's a case of those games are going down to the wire. Now, if Arsenal are in a position where they don't give away silly goals, they don't give away stupid mistakes and, and they take these chances that they're creating, suddenly it all starts to look a lot more calm and we all start to think, wow, this is really good. And I think there's a reason why all of us think, even though Arsenal are um, second in the league, unbeaten and have lost once all season, there's a reason why everyone thinks Arsenal haven't played anywhere near as well as they have last season. That's because they've not been putting games away and they've the, all the games pretty much, apart from Bournemouth, have felt really really, really nervous. Now, I think if Arsenal can get themselves into a position where they move away from that, then you can start to see things relaxing a bit more and you can start to see all the things that we want in terms of a bit more rotation, a bit more throwing in players who maybe haven't played as much, a bit more, um, I guess, comfort, a bit more uh, strength. And yeah, that would be that would be my my checklist, I think, for Arsenal. That would be aim number one. And definitely, I think it's what Mikel Arteta wants because he always talks about control. Every time, every press conference, domination, control. That's what he wants. That's what I want to. Yeah, I think that's all of that's on the list. I I know people roll their eyes out of their head when I start using data, especially because I use it wrong quite a bit, but I will throw some data at you there, Kaya, based on something you said. If Arsenal uh, win every game they play at halftime, uh, they will win the league. So, um so just a little data underpinning what you said, because I agree if we, if we could be winning games at halftime, that would be, that'd be delightful. Um, what you, we could start doing the instant reaction at halftime. <laughs> yeah. Save us some time. I think it's a really, really good point there. And what that does really, it, it may be, un, it's bringing out our underlying fear and why we've all been talking about do we need a striker over this two-week break? Because the underlying fear is, are we quite scoring enough? Do we trust no, our not. forwards to score? We know our forwards, our better forwards, haven't been on the pitch for long this season, so we know that, so we can tick that off. Have we lost creativity? Is Martin Odegaard shooting too much? Well, if you've got mm. two of your three best forwards out on the pitch, I bet the manager's a little word in his ear saying, mate, take a few more shots, because I'm not sure about the others. Do you know what I mean? So that takes care of that. If someone's scoring 15 goals last season... I'd ask, and I've lost my centre forward and I've lost one of my wingers, I'd be saying to my number 10, take shots, take them. You know, we need the goals. We need to, we need to move people out of their blocks. Take your shots. We can, we can do things off rebounds and things like that. So it's a difficult one. We've all got this underlying feeling that we can see a lot of good things happening in midfield and defence and our off-the-ball improvement, our possession improvement is there for everyone to see. So the next thing, we naturally move up the pitch. <laughs> we naturally worry about the next problem. And the next problem is around execution in the opposing box. And maybe Bournemouth and PSV were the two games where I was just sitting back wondering what drinks I was going to get at halftime. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. th- that's, those games are not often enough. So well said, Kaya. Yeah, for me, <clears throat> the checklist is is two things that maybe have been said, but not fully said yet. One is just, I want to see Mikel Arteta be sensible with that West Ham game in the League Cup. 
You know, we go to Newcastle the weekend. We've got Champions League. The FA Cup will come in January. Like, play the kids. I know it's cliche and I know everybody hates it. We don't have time left in this podcast to debate it again, but play the kids. Play, don't play anybody you want to use at Newcastle. Nobody cares about the League Cup. If you're listening and you're like, I, I, I care about the League Cup, fair enough. We'll do a podcast on why I don't care about the League Cup at another time. But I, I think we'll, we'll put it this way. If anybody plays at West Ham who subsequently is not available for selection at Newcastle who we would, would have wanted to select, I don't think that will be regarded as the right choice. So on my checklist, I would say, let's be sensible about that trip to West Ham. And by the way, I think we will be. Um, you know, there may be a player or two in that lineup that you'd be like, oh, I hope nothing happens to him, but that that's just the way it goes. You're not going to have 11 changes, probably. Um, and to Clive's point from earlier in the pod, by the way, you have guys you can play, right? If you're not willing to pick Kibior and Tomiyasu and Reese Nelson and Emil Smith-Rowe and, you know, those kind of guys, then, then why are they in the team anyway, uh, in the squad? But my other thing on the checklist, and Clive, you hinted at this, would just be, I want to go into the next interlull saying, yeah, you know, the fears from earlier in the season about the attack not clicking have really gone away over this last run of games. I'd love to be saying that. I'd love to be saying, you know, we got to see Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka as our front three, and that made things feel a lot more, um, you know, a lot more reliable. Or, you know, or saying, um, you know, we we played Party and Rice together and we, we saw a, a different amount of progressiveness in our attack and the horseshoe went away. Well, whatever it is, I would just like to be going into the next interlow confidently saying that concerns that may have existed about the click in attack are gone. But that's got to start this weekend at Chelsea. Loathsome, detestable Chelsea who must be beaten and must be beaten badly, put in their place so that they know the order of things. And they know that London is red, which is where we will leave it. And we will thank Kaya for joining today. A great pleasure for him and for us, I think. It's fair to say. Kaya's on Twitter at KayaKinek97. Kaya, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you very much for having me on, Elliot. We will uh, raise a glass together, hopefully, in two weeks' time. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Looks like uh, we will have some Patreon content for you tomorrow, which I'm excited about. And, of course, the instant reaction on Saturday. If you're joining us uh, live in Minneapolis over the weekend, we'll look forward to that. And if you're going to come by and say hi uh, in two weeks' time, uh, in London, we'll try to have some news on where people might be hanging out and where we can all say hello. So, so much exciting stuff ahead. Hope you're doing well. I had rescued a puppy. Our family rescued a puppy last Sunday. And uh, yeah, it's every bit as difficult as you'd expect, but a, but a wonderful thing. So it's all love in our household. And uh, hopefully the puppy will be screaming and barking and yipping at me as I make loud noises about football cheering uh, winners from Arsenal over the next few weeks. So that's it for us for today. Hope you're doing well. Look forward to talking to you soon. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Chelsea. Now.